welcome to What the Hex, your source for Warhammer Underworlds and under 30 spells cast in a single game. Today I'm your host, Phil. Joining me, my uh, wizardly co-host, Davey. How are you doing, Davey? I'm good. I was worried you are going to say you're weird co-host. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I <get> it. <laughs> uh, we, we got to try and rein in the puns. Um, on <laughs> Wednesday, I was recording with a story phase, and I think oh. I got enough puns to last me at least a month. So Those those guys are just shameless. It's well, terrible. <laughs> There's Paul and Eric on the same episode. Oh, no. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you're in a safe space now. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but if, uh, if folks couldn't guess from that, today we are going to be talking Weird Hollow. The new box is imminent. Um, it will be on pre-order the day that this drops, as usual. And we're pretty excited to talk about it. Uh, there's a whole lot in there. Um, and yeah, uh, it'll, be, it'll be pretty fun. As usual, um, we get these ahead of time so that we can play with them, look at the cards, figure out sort of what to say. And we get them from GW. Uh, we really appreciate doing having that opportunity. So thanks to GW for continuing that practice. Um, it's really, really helped uh, uh, with all of our <laughs> recordings in the last, I don't know how long it's been now, but, you know, a year yeah. and a half or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and and Phil and I have never once shivved each other to see who gets the copy that arrives. No, so. no, never. <laughs> <laughs> they always show up at your house anyway, so it's true. You know, it's it's always uh, always your generosity as to whether any of them end up in my hands anyway. <laughs> I, I'm a benevolent tyrant. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, super hyped. Uh, I'm excited. We have a ton to talk about, but, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. So let's, let's keep it moving since there is a lot to talk about and we've got our community shout outs quick. Yeah. Um, you got anything? Yeah. Sleek's bowl, uh, has a new article out, uh, in amazingly named truth and claw. So it's, uh, doing the, uh, truth seekers and truth seekers as a tooth and claw, uh, combo. Uh, for an aggro build um, on the name alone. Very, very awesome. And then it uh, does that thing I like, which is take a look at a warband mm-hmm. that not a lot of people are using. So, yeah. Um, and I am thinking about dipping in them. I, I uh, having done well with the cunning crew, I always feel like there's more I can learn with them. So I keep on almost picking them back up, but I'm like, I really should spread it around. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'd do their box mates. So this is kind of good timing for me. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, not necessarily a specific community article or content creator, but for all the people who gave us feedback again on our last debate episode, um, mm, yep. really appreciated. Uh, we always seem to get a lot of feedback and uh, it's really great to hear it. Um, lots of conversation in our discord after that episode dropped, which is always really cool to see. So thanks everybody. Um, if you have any other uh, debate topics that you think we should cover let us know um we like that format we think we'll keep doing it but Mm -hmm. we need topics sure yeah um uh you should also come play games with us we have uh by the time you're hearing this it's three weeks from us uh but two weeks from the day you are hearing this if you listen to this on the release day uh may 13th is our event it uh, will be at Noble Knight Games in Madison. It should kick off at 10. You can find more information about it in the link on our 
uh, on our webpage and it will be nemesis format and we'll do all the usual things. We'll have prize support and we'll have, uh, we'll bring some extra factions. If you are just looking to dip your toe in or bring somebody, if you can convince them to come out, um, we, we make it nice and beginner friendly. And if, uh, our calculations are correct and I believe they are, it will be, uh, one week after the official release of, weird hollow so it'll be a great coming out party for weird hollow uh get to try out all the new stuff that we're about to talk about here yeah absolutely um and in that same vein uh you know we've had weird shipping problems so obviously we'll adjust Mm -hmm. if anything happens again um and hopefully beast bound assault will be out before then but if not we'll make sure that you know that that continues to be a non-option just for the sake of fairness because it's not accessible to most people in North America. Right. I think that's it for community shoutouts. Uh, Davey, what the heck has been going on with you? Well, prepping for this episode, Phil, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> uh, awkwardly. So uh, we simultaneously have going on is uh, prep for this huge release, but also trying to uh, uh, wrap up our Sleeks Bowl um, it is tough to find time to play games with, uh, the local community also, uh, prep for this podcast and also do that. So that is still coming. It's in the background, but, uh, the, uh, the content monster is, is ever demanding. So we're, we're, uh, we're being slowed by that in order to have some, uh, have some, uh, slightly better informed takes than uh, if we had just totally ignored all this stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, look out because uh, Magic Thedra is coming for you, Phil. So oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm prepared. Uh, I have settled on um, Ilthari's Guardians. Hell yeah! About a fifty-fifty <laughs> split of spells and non-spells. So could be bad if Ilthari goes down quickly, but we'll see. Yeah, um, are we all Night Vault? We got, I know we have, I mean, probably, or, yeah, because we've got Godsworn, we've got eyes, we've got Molog, we've got Iltharis, uh, yep. who am I missing? Skyler? Yeah. I don't remember what Skyler's got. We'll have to, we'll have to check in with him. We'll, we'll have to peer pressure him into That's a, into a <laughs> if he's not Nightfall and he'll, yeah. he'll be now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but that's that's it. Prepping for this and doing a little sleek spool on the side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have basically been doing the same thing. We've got yeah. a whole bunch of cards. These these boxes with four decks. There's a lot of cards to review, mm. um, and getting games in with these. And I I mean, we sometimes just do like a one off game with these boxes. But we got a, f- a few extras this time around, and I'm kind of glad we did. Yeah. Um, to actually be able to try the new decks and the um faction decks just yeah. straight rivals um it's pretty informative it'll be it'll be worth uh i think we'll get into that in a bit here but worth kind of comparing our initial impressions thoughts oh, yeah. see if we can maintain those versus uh, after having played a few um i thought that was pretty informative yeah absolutely uh anything else hobby wise or should we dive right in i think we got enough to talk about i'm, I'm good to dive right in sweet all right so uh, a good place to start with any new box we've found because we've 
uh, been tripped up by this is that <laughs> you should read the rule book probably cover to cover because yeah. they like to sneak things in in unexpected places. Yeah. So we we did another peruse of the rule book this time around. Yeah, um, I want to give a tip of the hat. There's a, a te- technique that Skylar used on the uh, Gnarlwood box where oh, he yeah. actually laid out rule books side by side uh, to try and catch everything. And so we made sure that technique was employed for this, um, yeah. this episode. So I believe that we are, uh, not going to be tripping on ourselves this please, time. I think we've got, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's also helped by there's not quite so many changes here. So yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Um, but, uh, that's, that's something that's really up Skyler's alley. And so I'm glad he was able to kind of develop that technique here and, uh, the yeah. podcast is able to use that. Yeah, I think it works pretty well. I mean, it, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, it sounds simple, but I wouldn't have thought to do it. Um, you know, you, like we said, you have the two rule books and you like compare each section and then you just <laughs> highlight all the differences. Yeah. So even if, even if it's just a wording change, at least it's marked. So you like, no, something's different here. Does it make a change? Well, so yeah. That, because your brain is so good at filling in yeah. things that it expects to see. So what really got me in the uh, when the Gnarlwood box was that there would be, you know, uh, a line that would just get dropped or something, you know. So right. you know, there, there wouldn't be like this fighter can, you know, like under move action, this fighter can't make a move action if it has a move token. Like that's just not there anymore. And you're like, oh, but my brain yeah. just fills it in because I've, I've played it that yeah. way so long. So, Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are those changes? Well, uh, so the first change is there is a tiebreaker change. Yeah. Um, the exact specifics are actually escaping me right now. I know so, so it's, uh, the, the first tiebreaker is still, do you, do you have anybody on the board? Yes. Uh, if, Ooh, if one okay. side is wiped out, now then, I remember, <laughs> uh, just like, it, just like the old way, uh, if one side is wiped out, then, uh, then you, the, whoever still has fighters left wins. Yep. Now it used to be that the next tiebreaker was just who's on the most objectives, right? Yep. Uh, now it is who is on the highest values worth of objectives. Yeah. So count them up and yeah. see who's got the most. So if you've got objective five, you got a big head start. In, yeah. You're in a good, pretty good spot. Yeah. Uh, conversely, if you are on, I don't know, like five and one and I'm on four and three, uh, yeah. then I've, I've got that tiebreaker. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun change. I think mm-hmm. uh, I haven't seen it actually come up obviously because ties aren't that common, but, um, you know, it makes you care about the numbers. I think there's, there's so many things in the game that just completely ignore the numbers that it's it's nice that they're adding something in that will always care um because it it feels like something that they always wanted to have as a main part of the game that like these have numbers Mm -hmm. and the numbers matter Mm -hmm. and then everyone made like went out of their way to not care about the numbers (laughs) because it made everything so much harder so yeah uh, uh i i think i like it uh i I think the tiebreaker for being on objectives was relatively rare that it comes up anyway. Uh, but often enough, and I, you and I can both think of games where it was super important. Um, 
I know I won the second game of my final match for the the pre Acon tournament on on an objective tiebreaker um, where I was mm-hmm. standing on one and um, the other player wasn't. Uh, I like and so already th- there was some reward for like hey keeping an eye on things like what's my you know identifying like hey this game is going to be close uh, how how can I set it up where I get as much of my objectives as possible or, you know, score as much of my glory as possible, but also end up on a lot of these objectives. Right. Doing that also in mind where like, well, if I have to pick one or commit my resources to one or the other or all that sort of thing, or it might just be identifying like, Hey, I'm not going to like, I can get on the same number of objectives, but I know that my opponent has five and four sitting over there. So I'm not going to win it on that, which means that I need to go all like, I need to take the, gamble because sometimes yeah. that's how it ends up is like uh i think i can play the safer thing and stay on these and i'll you know so i i like i i like that extra layer and it's not it's not a difficult to one one to understand but i think it rewards a little bit of more um uh, a little bit more strategic play in that sense i i suppose it could be argued that you know there's some luck component as to where you know, objective five ends up, whoever's got it in their territory might have an advantage, but there's so much blending and blurring of, oh, yeah. of lines that that is not that big a deal. I don't think. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was always the advantage of just ending up with three objectives and sometimes it was like, well, I just didn't get three this time. Mm. Um, so to, to say that it's in any way more luck dependent now than it used to be, I don't think is really, um, yeah, a good argument. Well, Right. And with the last couple of seasons worth of objective placements where uh, you no longer are placing on the edge unless there's no never, you know, like it used to be that fifth objective could go on the edge. And so uh, if you had three objectives, you could really bury one. Um, You're you're not ever I'm not ever is not accurate, but it's incredibly (laughs) rare that you're going to be able to super bury one in the back line. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So that's that's the new tiebreaker changes. Um, After that, it's um same I, I think that's pretty much it that's just like at, at that point you just have a true tie which yeah. surprisingly comes up more often than you think <laughs> um so the next two kind of go together uh, mm-hmm. these are two new action types that you can take uh we've got stun and barge uh folks might have seen these already they were in a warcom article it's just talking about uh what these are and how they work um they literally just put a picture of the rule book in those articles. So you may have even read the full rule already, but so a stun action is like an attack action, except that instead of choosing to roll dice to do damage, you just stun an adjacent opponent. Um, stun being, Oh yeah. Uh, stagger. Stagger. Um, so I, I like the option. I wonder a little bit, about the efficiency of it like mm. is that going to be something that's worth doing um i would kind of hope that maybe down the line we'll see some cards that are like you know as a reaction after a move you can do a stun or something mm-hmm. like that but either way um and and then like i said to go along with it we also have barge which is just like the charge equivalent of a stun so you get to make a move and then do a stun and then you also get a stagger token. Right. Um, 
So, so move in a, a, a collective stagger of the both the fighters involved. Yeah. Uh, it does not give you a charge token. It does not. Um, which uh, a, a couple seasons ago, I'd say is that's a definite bonus because it'd give you a little more options on that other end. Uh, now, maybe a little less so because you might be interested in getting a charge token on all your fighters so that you can continue yeah. to activate. Uh, so this is this doesn't let you shortcut the sort of charged out um, situation. Yeah. I suppose the one scenario I can think of where I'd probably want to do this is if I, you know, want to do just a move, but now I have this option to at least get something else out of my move. I mm-hmm. I might choose to do that. Of course, giving your opponent a reroll is kind of scary. Um, but there have been times where I've felt like it's fine if the defense of my fighter is high enough that it's like, eh, it's probably going to work out anyway. Um, yeah, I think the, uh, the having a, having a stagger on yourself is, is, uh, uh, it can be a fairly high cost. Cause I, I was thinking of exactly the same thing that you were, were, um, I've had matchups with like grim watch or whatever, where I, I have like just an attack. That's nothing. It's a two fury, one damage attack or something. My real point of this activation is get one of these ghouls onto an objective, uh, and be sitting there. And now, now I'm on it. Now they got to do something, they got to knock me off or something like that. Yeah. And you would often make it as part of a charge. Like, okay, I'll charge. And, um, there were circumstances where like, that's actually, I, I kind of don't want to even charge because maybe I'm fighting like, uh, gore chosen that would say, sweet, you got lucky. You got one damage on me. Anyway, I've got a tithe counter now. Like, Ugh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Crap. <laughs> not, um, not great. Yeah. So, uh, but, but thinking of the circumstances where I'd be willing to stagger myself, um, I can feel tough. Sometimes it just doesn't matter because they're already on like five or six dice from upgrades. You're like, well, what's one, what's one yeah, more reroll? Who right. cares? Um, maybe it's more important there. Uh, both these things are, are not, they don't feel like particularly high efficiency options for your activation, right? Like, no. Um, even the stun thing, if you if you start the round and they've got one fighter who, you know, went on guard or something like that, you can stun them. Uh, that feels pretty good because you flip their guard. Also, and they like a, that's a that's a more dramatic move, right? From from on guard to uh, staggered um to to flip that over uh that that is a pretty significant change in their level of uh defense uh barge if you have a guard card that you're planning on using anyway you know if you're not attacking that's not a bad call run in stagger the opponent and yourself and then guard yourself so that you clear your stagger and go back on guard uh but the thing is if you have used an activation to stagger somebody they can use an activation to put themselves back on guard unless they're they're charged out um or, yeah. you know, unless that, that fighter is charged and someone else hasn't. Um, so I think the number of times where this comes up is going to be relatively low unless you have objectives that are scoring off it or, or what have you. Um, yeah, there'll be some destruction warbands that are just kind of like, oh, I can lean into that and do the stun thing and sure, maybe do the, the stagger claw pack. Build, yeah but yeah that was the one i was thinking of that's that's sort of a weird one um, uh i was trying to think i think we have uh 
our, our preview set saw about six practice games run through. Um, yeah. I don't think I ever saw either of these happen, but that's sometimes a hard thing to put your finger on because there's so many new things. Like there may have been the opportunity where it actually yeah. be useful and nobody, and you just didn't remember that it was a thing. So Yeah. I think there was a lot of times where I just didn't even think about it. Um, yeah. To be honest, I think in our games, I just more often than not, I, I viewed, an attack as the better choice and mm. just didn't even think about stunning. But, um, you know, there's actually a, a card. We can talk about it when we get there, but there's actually a card in pandemonium that I was thinking exactly the same one. Staggered yeah. And I, yeah. and there was actually a play I can remember where I was like, okay, well I need to stagger one of my other fighters. So, you know, I'll charge through this snare hex and then I'll get this surge mm-hmm. and maybe an attack off, which is probably still the better move. But like I could have done a less risky play where I did a, like a barge or something. Yeah. Um, and a barge, so, or, you know, if this if the uh, snare hex wasn't there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If I didn't have one. Um, yeah. So for sure. Uh, I guess the only other thing I can think of that, again, it just doesn't it didn't come up in these rivals games because why would it? But. Um, if anybody is playing around Delve, um, mm. stagger tokens can be very annoying. Yep. Um, so I I can think of like the like if you really want cover hexes for some reason, or if you're trying to do the hold all objectives in one territory and you're trying to flip mm. some of them. Yep. It can be very disruptive to get the uh, stagger tokens. So. There's probably something there where you'll be able to see that, like, oh, my opponent's going to want to flip that. I'm going to. I mean, yeah, I can say with my cunning crew, I was definitely doing a lot of kind of flipping and, um, you know, trying to manipulate the board at the end. Uh, where I, I try to do something like, well, I want to have cover for the next round, so I'm yeah. going to right. uh, flip these into cover at the end, but with the intention then flipping them back before the next end phase came around because maybe I was carrying stockpile or something like that, that cared about holding a particular quantity of objectives or something like that. And so, uh, that would really kind of blow me up as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, and I suppose since we kind of just mentioned it, uh, there's one of the new things that goes in here is just a new term, for hazard hexes, this kind of covers all of the different types of non-generic hexes. Mm. So you've got snares and lethals and cover, and they're all covered as uh, hazard hexes now. Um, and as we were talking about, um, there's now some snare hexes printed on the new boards, and these mm-hmm. are included in the hazard hexes. So right. not a big change, but just something to be aware of. Um, there'll, I think now be a couple of cards that will reference to just say, if, if your fighters are in hazard hexes, that's just cut some words, just shortens things up a little bit. Sure. Yeah. That's almost everything. The one new other rule is pretty big one. Uh, some people are already talking about it. Uh, you want to cover this one? Sure. Uh, this one I was pretty excited to see it's a uh, salvage. Uh, so this is a rule. The short of it is gives you another option in the power step uh, in the same way that you could use your turn in the power step to delve. Uh, here you can use your turn in the power step to 
discard a power card and draw a replacement if that power card is restricted to a fighter that is no longer on the board. Um, specifically, and if it's you know usable by multiple, you know, say it's restricted to uh, beasts, uh, and one of your two beasts is dead, uh, this you can't trigger salvage. There has to be no viable options for that for that power yeah. card. Yeah. Um, and, go ahead. And that also includes the gambit spells. Right. Uh, right. And so. There's a few things I like about this. Um, I like that, you know, like you mentioned with the gambit spells, uh, this gives you a little more reason to say like, Hey, there's a really good gambit spell. I only have one caster, uh, traditional, traditionally when you're building a deck, a, a card would have to be very, very, very good to overcome the threshold of, Hey, if I lose a fighter, then this is just taking up dead space in my deck. Yeah. Um, the uh, you know and if you look especially at some of the older war bands um i i think our example that we give often is reavers uh, i think another good example is uh crash racks despoilers um at where a very large number of their upgrades are given over to fighter specific upgrades now whether you would still take those anyways maybe maybe not but um but there were so many of those. You're like, I, I can't include it. Like, this is kind of a cool card, but I can't include it because, like, I I am too likely to lose one of these fighters, and I just don't want it to take up space. Um, and that's a shame because I I think it's uh I think it's cool to have these flavorful cards that are specific to a given fighter. Um, yeah. And those cards often did not see play again. Like I said, unless they are uh, particularly powerful. Um, so I'm excited to see what cards we get to we get to have in play uh, that wouldn't have otherwise made the cut for deck building in uh, particularly in championships where you see it at its worst. Uh, you see more of them once you start playing nemesis. And then obviously um, you see all of them if you're doing rivals, but um, that, that can maybe give a little bit of a boost to a, a rivals deck that is really heavy on that kind of card. Um, Absolutely. So it, it, it may be more impactful in, it's impactful in the different formats in different ways. You know, championship, it opens up deck building options. Uh, rivals, it uh, takes away some of the feel bad from um, from ending up with a handful of cards that are for guys who are dead. Yeah. Um, and I, I also feel like, you know, some of the stuff we saw discussed, it was like, oh, this, you know, allows for, you know, lazier deck building and, uh, you know, the the stuff that was already being taken that was restricted because it was so good now those cards are just amazing mm. it's kind of like okay those things are true but isn't it better that we like allow for those other cards that never made it into decks to be at least playable now mm. even if it gives a slight bump to these other things so um, yeah i i feel like it's overall a positive i'm i'm excited to see how it works yeah it'd be interesting to see i i think we can think of a couple uh particular warbands that really get a lot out of this i think um hexbane's hunters were already including uh, a number of cards that were restricted i i mean i think i uh see bane of evil out there a fair amount woodcutter yep. strength maybe uh pox got one deep scars that maybe wasn't as popular but is really good um and so it'd be interesting to see if like do they need an extra restriction um out of it if if they get a bump on that. Um, 
there's also and and I'm I'm kind of uh, snagging some of uh, Flavius's talking points. He was he was someone I saw that was particularly against it, and I uh, helped me kind of understand that that side of the uh, discussion as well. Uh, if you're including some of these riskier cards, uh, and then those fighters die, well, then you effectively have you're you're thinning your upgrades in favor of gambits. Um, that's more important earlier on. Later in the game, you have enough glory where you know the uh the upgrades aren't gated nearly as much mm-hmm. um and so i don't know if it'll be quite as impactful as all that because you still would have to lose a fighter and you have to lose them early for it to for it to likely matter but um it's it's worth keeping an eye on i, I yeah. i'm interested to see like what the what the impact is but mostly i'm excited to see uh cards that you might not otherwise gotten gotten to play nearly as much yeah i there's there is certainly some math to having some free card draw baked into your deck yeah. where like, if I can't play this, I just get to, you know, rummage it away and get a new card, which can, you know, once you start to get down to like the bottom half of your deck, that can actually be quite impactful because you generally know that what's remaining and how badly you maybe need those cards. And mm-hmm. you, you might even, be more willing to risk certain fighters if you know that the payoff for them dying is you get to draw into some really good cards but i i just i don't really see that as something that's gonna like break the game but like you said yeah we'll yeah i mean watch it right if if i know that you have bane of evil in your deck i'm still gonna try and down hexbane uh yeah because even if you get to cycle that i'd rather you don't use it period so uh it I, I guess I guess what uh, what remains to be seen with a lot more games out is uh, is it is it uh, more in the sort of the the mind of like a uh, Flavius where it's hey this gives too much benefit uh, or is that more of an old way of thinking and and uh, the uh, this is maybe not as big an impact and it just kind of opens things up so yeah all right well believe that that is all of the rule book changes obviously <laughs> if we missed anything this time around man shame on us uh <laughs> we, we certainly tried very hard to not miss anything but if we did let us know um mm. we do want to know about it if we miss it but also that would feel bad this time around um not that it didn't feel bad last time all <laughs> <laughs> uh, right so we've got uh two new warbands and two new rivals decks in this box to get through uh where would you like to start uh let's start with uh i i think our group is most uh excited about flm's pandemonium so why don't we just start there sure sure so um we're not going to do a card by card deep dive for these guys we have that up on the blog so keep an eye or out for the will yeah or will <laughs> it's not there yet uh but yes there will be an article up uh we've got review up for all the cards at least i've done review on all the cards at this point i was very excited to review all these and mm. burned through all of them it took about a week still um but yeah so so high level Ephilim's Pandemonium. So this is a Zinch uh, summoner with mm-hmm. a bunch of different little demon guys, which are keyworded with changer. Um, so they're all changers, and there's a lot of things in the deck 
that care about changers and where they are and what they're doing. So mm. yeah. that is that is sort of in a nutshell what the Warband is looking to do. Yeah. Um, being Zinch, it is very spell-focused. Um, and I think other things to note about the fighters themselves, they kind of all have a different role to play. Um, mm. So all the little changers do a little bit of a different thing but most of them have a ranged spell attack without being wizards. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the first time we've seen that. Yeah, so a little strange. Um, so it will look just like a normal attack, but it, the symbol will just be the magic symbol. Mm-hmm. So um, you just roll the number of dice that it shows, and you, it still counts as a spell. It's just they're not a wizard. So... I guess the only things to kind of watch out for that I noticed having to keep track of is like some cards say like after you've cast X number of spells, you can score this or Mm. whatever. Other cards say after a wizard has done, you know, a thing casting Mm -hmm. spells, you can score this. Mm -hmm. You have to keep those counts separate because the changers are not wizards. So if you cast anything with them, that doesn't work. They also cannot cast gambit spells because they're not wizards. So, right. right. Uh, I, I definitely almost tripped over that a couple of times in our games where I was thinking like, Oh, you know, I'm in range to use this spell. So I'll do that. And then I'm like, Oh, nope. Ethelim is not in range. Won't work. <laughs> um, so, uh, fun warband, lots of different stuff going on. Any, anything that you want to call out about the warband at a high level before we get into the cards? Uh, you know, I just really like the, the toolbox idea of them, um, where you've got spawn maw is, uh, fast and can do damage to large targets, uh, a little bit better. Kindle finger is, uh, surprisingly tough. I think they're, they're more durable than you think, uh, cause yeah. Kindle finger has, you know, two defense dice and actually takes minus one damage. So if you want a one shot Kindle finger, you have to land a three damage hit right out of the gate it's yeah. kind of a kind of a big ask flame spooler has a splash damage thing which is pretty cool um just a lot of a lot of neat little tools and then apatrax that the stairfish has a has an ability that at the end of a round can pull somebody off of uh from uh i guess they'd have to be two away because they have to end the push next to stairfish which is incredibly disruptive uh yeah. potentially um just to always have that last last minute distraction in there uh, yeah. with you know some very specific caveats on it but um i think i think there's a, a awesome puzzle there and they're all important because uh the closer you, if you have enough of them close to the the leader then the leader has an extra uh extra casting level which early on gets her to two and later on gets her to potentially three yeah um so just uh I think that puzzle of figuring out where you want each person and who you want uh, to be in each position. And then from the other side, like who you target, like that is a whole lot of stuff to wrap your head around. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I guess just, just because it's something I didn't, it didn't click in my head until I was actually playing with it. Stairfish's push says you can push an enemy fighter up to two hexes and then they must end adjacent, which means they can actually be up to three hexes away because mm. once you push them two, they can still end up adjacent after that. So it's yep. it's a very big range. Yeah. Um, and so like trying to position away from Apatrax was very difficult. Yeah. I was like, oh, 
I guess there's no objectives I can stand on where I won't just get pulled <laughs> off by the fish. Like this sucks. Yeah. Um, Apatrex is just randomly flying also, which, uh, yeah, because he's <laughs> just one of those floaty zine yeah. demons. It, yeah. Just wild. But I agree. The, the toolbox thing, super cool. Lots of different ways to mess around with the different, uh, mechanics from the warband to get a lot yeah. of mileage. Yeah. Uh, I think our first impression is also that they, you know, you look at the, this board band comes as a plot card where you have this sequence that you do at the start of the round, yeah. uh, where you inspire one and then stagger another and guard another and then push one. It's like, Whoa, there's kind of a lot going on there and figuring out how all this fits together. We're like, man, these, these guys feel complicated. And from my mind, I was like, uh, because Ephilim needs, uh, her inspire condition is two or more surviving friendly fighters are inspired like you could actually block her inspire if you kill the right guys that turned out to be uh, a lot harder to do than we yeah, realized yes. um <laughs> uh but you know so looking on paper it's like oh it's impossible it, it's possible to make it so that she just never inspires or like inspires not until the third round that feels that feels pretty harsh that is still possible but it's not nearly as easy as i thought it was going to be yeah same at least in rivals it was quite difficult um yeah. And I suppose just as another like thing that just reading the card, it wasn't easy for me to grasp, but playing with it made more sense. So the plot triggers specifically after the roll off for the round. So you know mm -hmm. who's going to go first before you have to make any of the decisions. Mm. And then it's just a flow chart. Like yeah. if you have you know, any number of changers left, go through the list until you run out of changers. If you run out of changers before you get to the bottom of the list, you just stop. Like it's, it's worded in such a way that the rules are very clear, but it makes it kind of confusing to read the card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but there's a lot of knowing how to use that, uh, change sequence. Well, is, is gonna, uh, make a difference too. Yeah. So I think, yeah. uh, deployment's a big deal with this war band. Um, but you can be, what, what, what it was your take on their kind of overall, I, I don't think I knew what their play style was until I seen it on the board. And then did you have a sense for what their preferred play style is? Yeah. Going into it, I thought that they were going to be all about like, I have to cast a bunch of spells and hold a bunch of objectives, but actually playing it. Um, it's more about just like positioning. And then you kind of hit a lot of the spell casting incidentally, because like I said, most of these fighters have a spell attack action. Yeah. So just by the nature of wanting to shoot people, you're kind of just going to cast spells anyway. Yeah. Um, so it ended up kind of actually feeling more like a um, Thundrix in a way where you're going to mm. castle up on your side of the board and then shoot sure. people as they come in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a, that feels actually a, a really good comparison. If you can, like if they can build a deck that makes the other side, the beat down to use terminology, uh, thrown out there, then then you you do end up with this situation, and it, there's a lot of things that help them with that. There's the disruption push. There's uh, them all having yeah, there, there's there's their boss having a right out of the gate a range four damage two spell. Yeah, um, pretty good. Yeah, uh, so that that lets you just right there lets you kind of position who is admittedly a very important piece of your warband into a, a relatively safe spot. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was, 
surprisingly simple to keep Ephilim safe, at least in the box matchup where, mm. um, you know, you don't have like a speed five fighter who's trying to just dive in and kill Ephilim. Mm. And, and so you could just like position far enough back that like they really can't even charge Ephilim. And then as soon as they start trying to come in to attack your other fighters, Ephilim gets to start going full turret because range four is <laughs> yeah. surprisingly far away yeah yeah uh yeah to the extent that you would keep miscalculating you know i, I say you in general like yeah when we when we'd be playing both players would be like oh actually this spells in range like oh my god range oh, four is no. so far on this board all right yeah 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 so i actually am really interested to see what people do with this warband i think they're very flexible i think they can do a lot of different things i think this warband should be very good um and i think that it has a very high skill ceiling which is nice um you like to see warbands where like they're not impossible to play out the gate like pretty much anybody i think could play this they're a little more complicated than a starter warband i think i would want to just give a new person but once you grasp the basic rules of the game, it shouldn't be too hard to play these guys. Right. Yeah. Um, that's an overview. You want to talk cards? Yeah, let's let's talk some cards. We got uh, objectives, gambits, and upgrades, and we just are going to pick out uh, you know, a couple favorites from each category. So, Davey, how about you lead us off with a favorite objective? Well, I had one on here that uh, that I think you are going to end up picking based on your comment <laughs> from earlier. So uh, I actually go there, there's several that I like quite a bit, but uh, one I really liked just because of the way they used the design was closing the circle. So this mm -hmm. is a two glory surge, which is important right there off the bat. Um, it has uh, it has art that like highlights just how weird yeah. <laughs> fighters are in this warband, which i can't get enough of i know they're not for everybody but man i love it so much it's like it's what i always thought zinch demons ought to look like um and yeah. so just kind of over the moon on that um but this one is a uh, score this immediately after an opponent's power step if your warband holds three or more objectives we've seen almost this uh multiple times i think uh the despoilers uh and more famously yeah, Grim Watch, um, a little less famously uh, Purifiers. So yep. th there's there's a lot of different warbands that have the two glory um, for holding three. What I love about this is it's, it's uh, after an opponent's power step. So you your opponent has the chance to react to this. Um, yeah. If you get into position d using a movement uh, action, uh, on your turn well then they have their entire activation step they have your power step their activation step and their power step to try and stop this yeah. um if you're sneaky with this and have champs build cards in there uh or or something like that then you can limit that by quite a lot by getting your last person on there um using uh using a power card like a sidestep or something like that uh, to to sneak on to a third objective and then they better have a card right then. Uh, but they should be able to see it coming if you're, if you're starting to stand on those things, but it really, it really makes it scary when you see uh, pandemonium starting to um, gather themselves onto objectives, uh, which is part of that. We were talking about setting up that castle, like, Hey, look at me, I'm getting on these objectives. What are you going to do about it? You're going to come in at me, come yeah. on in, you know, feel free. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah i i do like the design like you say it 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 makes it counterable but also it rewards that high level play where like if you know or you're very certain almost that your opponent's probably not going to have the power card right then you can just surprise them and be like shuffle this person with a push teleport somebody or you know swap feature tokens or something i think uh, you know, we'll talk about this card in a little bit, but they have they have a swap feature token card, and I think you can catch people out with that. Sure, probably quite a bit. Yeah, and what uh, this is another reason that having those uh, shooting attacks is is a big deal because you can you can charge your changers onto objectives to set this up and some of their other hold objective style things, where uh, you know, like with with Grimwatch, who are obviously they're plenty powerful. Uh, but I've played a lot of them and a lot of times you're making activations like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to jog whatever Knights Herald over onto this thing and nothing's in range. So that's my activation is just walking over here and here you at least get a little bit more. You, you get the move and cast a spell, maybe do some damage. Yeah. But I do like, I like seeing some, some hold elements in this. It's not just Mm. casting spells. Totally. Um, Totally. So it feels feels nicely balanced to me. Yeah. What was yours? Uh, so there's there's a number in here that I like, but I think the design space that I found the most interesting was Callus Manipulator, which I think was the one that you kindly yeah. saved for me. Yeah. Uh, so this is a surge, um, and you score this after an activation step or power step, yeah. which is pretty interesting. Um, so it's very flexible. You can score this either after a friendly changer was taken out of action in that step. So if somebody pings your changer off or they, sh- you know, charge and kill a changer, you get to score this. So it's one of those where you kind of get rewarded for your opponent doing things. Yeah. Or if you have two or more friendly changers that are staggered. Yeah. Uh, and so we now know, you know, we've got those couple new ways you can stagger. You could delve to stagger. There's snare hexes you could run through. And yeah. in their plot card, you get to stagger one of the changers as part of the plot. So um, I actually found this card to be very reliable and probably a staple for this warband. Yeah, I uh, you mentioned being interested by the design space. I'm I'm a little bit startled that they printed something like this. I know it's not universal, but uh, we've gotten away from cards like Martyred um, and uh, was it... Uh, <clears throat> Why am I blanking? Not taking risks, whatever the yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> take take a damage, uh, yeah. move through a lethal or whatever. But um, yeah, it uh, was a while th- ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, martyred was like you had to have you had to be the first one to lose somebody. This this you just lose one of your little guys at any time. Yeah, uh, including you just, if you did it yourself, which right, there are yeah. circumstances where you might. But um, that. Uh, Ooh, I, it, there's the, I think what gets me is, is doesn't feel like there's a ton of play around for the other player other than like, I guess I'll kill this staggered guy. So that if they stagger a second one, but you just have to go in and, you know, if you, if you're killing a changer, I'm going to kill a changer. And if they've, if they've got it, they've got it sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, there certainly isn't much counterplay. Um, no. that is very true and maybe that's bad, but I, I like that it's, it's not, um, it's not the normal things that we see. Um, I I think, you know, sprinkling those in every once in a while and not having them be universal is fine. Yeah. Once they become universal, it becomes maybe too easy for everyone to use them. And yeah, 
I mean, you really don't want to lose your changers. Uh, that was another thing that I noticed in playing games is that the changers are very important. Yeah. Um, if they start dying for you to score this, it's not, I mean, yeah, you, you sort of get repaid for having something go poorly for you, but it's, it's probably hurting you worse than, uh, you would like. So, um, yeah, I think it's a nice little rubber band mechanic. I think these guys probably need. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Whether they need it or not, I, I well, think it's very, very we'll, powerful. We'll see. And we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, it's, it's very good. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's one of the very first things you reach for when you're building, uh, building a deck because I think it fits into basically anything that you're trying to do. Oh, of course, absolutely. Um, were there any others that you wanted to highlight? Uh, no, and I, I think uh, we won't hold ourselves to this ironclad, but I think we'll try and keep it to one of each because we have so so yeah, much to go there's, through. There's, so there's a, three more decks um, after this one. I will say on, on first read through of their deck, I did not quite recognize how powerful the Rivals deck was until uh, it was on the board. And then going through it a second time, I was like, oh, well, okay <laughs> yeah it actually is it is quite good and i think some of that was like there were article highlights like nine fates which um is fine but not crazy and all that sort of thing but they they've got some they've got some solid surges they got some real doable stuff that doesn't need you to like twist yourself into a pretzel to make it happen no and and their two glory cards um are mostly pretty doable so um yeah. the deck kind of works just well out of the box which is yeah. nice to see but also yeah. it's like oh i didn't recognize this on paper they sound more <laughs> right. complicated than they ended up being yeah yeah i agree i agree all right so that takes us to gambits unless you'd rather do upgrades first but i really like their gambits so i'm well excited to get to them. tell me what you really like about them then oh uh well so overall i mean they have a lot of these weird sort of tricky cards um mm -hmm. doing a whole bunch of different things um, but the one in particular that I absolutely love, although maybe we'll see that it's a problem card, uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out in champs, um, is will of the architect. Oh. And this <laughs> is a strict upgrade to what was that called? The universal card from nether maze. We could swap two feature tokens, but basically this is pick two feature tokens, place each feature token in the hex. The other was in. Um, it doesn't care if anyone was standing on them. doesn't care what mm. type of feature token they are. Like you can use this to disrupt your opponent's plays. You can use this to set up your plays. There's just you use this to win the tiebreaker. <laughs> Absolutely. Like there's just so many things you can do with this. I, I remember I got to use this to be able to score nine fates. Oh um, yeah. Because, yeah. uh, so so i guess i'll just quickly for people who don't remember nine fates you have to be holding objectives that exactly add up to nine mm. um and so i was like man i don't have a way to like move this around and then i was like oh no i do <laughs> i have objective <laughs> four and i can just choose to have objective five because i want it yeah. um and i just did it as like the last thing i did in the power step and I was yeah. like, well, unless you're out of distraction, I, I will get this and it's too yeah. glory. So, uh, felt real good. Um, we'll see how bad it ends up being for the game because there's a lot of people who care about being on some feature tokens 
and specific types of feature tokens. So if you can just be like, oh, that cover hex you're in, I'm just going to make that an objective now. Mm. That's pretty punishing. Um, maybe it'll be fine. Feels very strong to me, though. My my instinct is that it, it is situationally extremely strong, and then uh, uh, sometimes it just won't matter at all. And then you've got to... I mean, it won't yeah. matter to the to the opponent. So, I my my instinct is is that it's probably fine. I like to think about the builds that you could do with these guys that might uh, really leverage that. You know, um, again, I already mentioned stockpile, which is have objectives that add up yeah. to six. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a way to score that a little more easily. And you know, this can help you into that. You can lean into some of those objectives and then and then uh, managed to do that kind of castle play style we were talking about. So I, I think this is one that helps them unlock that castle play style. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I like it a lot. Uh, how about you pick, pick just one of these oh, very man. fun gambits. This was super hard. There are some lights out gambit spells here, which uh, I think will get a ton of a uh, ton of time that they get talked about. Um, there's some that I love for the art uh like really just kind of leaning into this uh i oh man uh <laughs> if i if i have to just pick the one um i'm actually going to go with uh, i'm going to i'm going to stay on brand for our podcast and, mm-hmm. and i'm i'm going to leave those i'm going to leave those All amazing right. Right. gambit spells to the side uh i'll bolt a bolt of uh zinch field of change uh, summon abomination are all amazing and you should look at them but uh, latching tendrils is choose one enemy fighter push the chosen fighter up to two hexes so that they are adjacent to one or more friendly changers oh. uh, that is that is a uh, kind of an infaction distraction um, it has some setup requirements situational you can't just reach all the way across the board and do it but real disruptive can set up some cool plays can put uh, put a fighter in a real risky spot um, lots of applications. Anytime somebody's got a, a push enemy in faction um, gambit, like that's that's pretty rad. Yeah, so. got to watch out because that's a that's a big push. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I can take a carefully positioned fighter and put them in an extremely vulnerable position. Yeah, uh, you you want to keep your fighters out of the kill zone with these guys, and this card is gonna put them right in the middle of that. And it's just yeah. like, ooh, there are four fighters who can now shoot my fighter that just got pushed into the danger zone. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> real bad. Yeah. Um, but like you said, a lot of fun gambits in here, a lot of fun tech, some that are just like raw power and some that uh that'll be really cool when you when you pull off a little swaparoo or something like that absolutely yeah all right so man so so excited about so many of those i hope we get to discuss them with people uh after they can read the article about all of them because they are fun uh upgrades though um also some fun upgrades but not in the same way um i'm less excited about their upgrades than their gambits but uh how about uh, you lead us off this time? What is one that you found to be particularly fun? Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of wanted to pick something else, but I'm going to go with Ether Tether, uh, mostly because this is an mm-hmm. illusion upgrade. Yeah. And uh, if any warband should have illusion upgrades, it does feel like it ought to be a Zinch warband. So I was just kind of glad to see that and know that that mechanic is not abandoned. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
that now that we are out of Ulgu that we'll continue to see these periodically. And that's cool because I, I like it. I, I think it was, uh, we've talked about it before. I think it was a mechanic we were kind of skeptical of when we first saw it. And I think it's worked out pretty, pretty neat for the game. Yeah. Uh, so this is, this is an illusion like any other where it'll go on for free. Uh, it will break at the end of the action phase or if that fighter is dealt damage or chosen. Uh, but it's minus one dice from enemy fighters attack actions to a minimum of one while they target this fighter. It has to go on a changer. Um, that's powerful. Very. Uh, take, taking a dice out of somebody's attack pool is a big deal. Uh, I use a similar one in the and crew and have loved it. Um, so it can, uh, it can really swing some odds if somebody's, you know, trying to fish for a crit to get through on Kindle finger, who's two dodge, maybe on guard because of your, um, changer, process or whatever um real nifty and it's uh usable right out of the bat right 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 out of the gate i should say um yeah so um i'd like it uh for its thematic and its uh thematics and it's for its use yeah absolutely i mean not having any sort of range restriction makes this just so yeah. brutal um just any attack is minus one dice it just yeah very very good uh but i like that it's restricted to changers you yes. know because if you could if you could throw this on nephilim then oh my goodness too would, much yeah yeah um worth noting here all of the changers at some point end up with two defense dice so the if they have that and this you're probably just gonna want to leave them alone until this goes away they're <laughs> <laughs> probably not hitting them um yeah that one of the man i have a hard time choosing which one I like better, but there are two in particular that I found to be very fun. And one of them is also a changer one. So I'll go with that one. Um, and it is called boundless change. Mm. So this is a changer restricted upgrade that when this fighter makes an attack action, each friendly fighter within three hexes of the target supports the attack action. It's a really yeah. big bubble. Like, yeah. Once I put yeah. this out, it was basically, oh, this fighter just has double supports on every attack for the rest <laughs> of the game. Like it was super good. Um, I think both times that I got to use it, I was putting it on to the spawn spawn maw, which is the bitey mm -hmm. guy who can spike up to three damage if he has uh, a large target. Mm -hmm. um, he's rolling three dice innately just no matter what. So three yep. dice with double supports meant that is almost guaranteed going through every single time. And sure. it ended up doing a ton of work. Um, and it just felt like you could almost guarantee that this was going to allow you to get some hits through. Um, the one sort of maybe balancing factor to this is that a lot of the changers non spell attacks are not great. And some of them don't have an attack that isn't a spell attack. So supports are only useful well actually just looking at it now there's only the two fighters who can benefit from this but it was very good with both of them so mm. um i did find that to be very powerful but now i'm realizing that maybe outside of rivals it won't actually be as good <laughs> that's that's fair uh <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it's a cool, uh, balancing thing. Uh, I think we didn't mention that, uh, one of the things about changers is they cannot use. Oh, yes. No weapon upgrades. Yeah. So, um, that is not a, a particular way to sneak around this one. Yeah. So. Correct. Yeah. 
yeah, I guess if we ever get any more cards that change the dice characteristic of your attacks, you could go <laughs> to regular attack dice and then <laughs> but we're getting we're getting into crazy land, so we yeah. just won't go there. But uh needless to say, uh there are a lot of other really cool cards for this warband. Um and you should definitely go check them all out on the blog. But we should keep it moving. Mm. We've got three more decks to get through, including a new warband. So Fact. on to Storm Coven. So this is our new uh, uh, Curse Breakers 2.0, I guess you could say. <laughs> sure. um, yeah, so another three fighter warband for Stormcast. They're keeping mm-hmm. that trend going. Um mm-hmm. And I guess the big thing to call out is that they have a very interesting inspire mechanic where it's a reaction after another fighter's activation. You can just choose to inspire the fighters who one of the fighters who didn't activate. Mm-hmm. So while that's powerful to have the choice of being inspired kind of at will it makes at least in my experience i remember feeling like i was under pressure to plan out my whole turn to know who i wanted inspired when yeah and that was much more difficult in practice than i thought it was going to be in paper yeah i think we looked at this warband and we said well this is this is the kind of easy mode warband because you just pick whichever one is going to have the right tools for the job inspire that one and then you're good to go and you're just going to do it and you're like well actually it's the timing of it is uh is challenging because uh, two of the fighters. So we should all say Damatan's the one who's got his name on the on the uh, warband, but he's mm, not always the right. leader. It's whoever's inspired, whoever yeah. happens to be inspired, is the leader. Um, so uh, and then whoever is inspired is the one that. So they're all level ones unless they're inspired. Then they're level two. So they gain leadership and level two, and that's where they get their defensive buffs. So. Um, Stratosi and Sarpon. Yeah. Um, they go up to two defense dice. Damatan annoyingly does not get an extra defense dice, gets an extra point of health, which uh, makes him a large fighter and kind of uh, may break upgrades or make him ineligible for certain things and also gives up more glory. But yeah. But because of that timing, like you could say, okay, so I've got, I don't know, like, uh, stratosi inspired uh i want my next activation to be with somebody else who's inspired so i'm going to toss the inspiration over to sarpon and like oh well because now stratosi has uninspired to hand it off to sarpon she is in presumably a more vulnerable position having charged forward and is and she just uh handed off her inspiration and so now she's back down to one defense dice that uh is a problem yeah (laughs) Yeah. it ended up being a bigger problem than maybe we first realized until we saw it happening and then we're like oh these guys just get blown up it's not great yeah it can do uh especially because they're rivals decks it seemed like they were they were sporting some fairly aggressive rivals decks or or things that wanted them to push forward which was what yeah uh, which was that the pandemonium was happy to have happen. Uh, and so I, I think, because here's the thing, like um, we, they, they are very similar uh, up and down the line. They, they're uh, they all have a range to uh, attack 
Um, it does most of them do two damage. I think Domiton goes up to three damage with a range two attack, which is great. Yeah. Um, they all start with a range three spell attack that uh, starts out at one damage and can do more if it's inspired or you know pick up different rules. Um, and uh, it's a thing where like if you, I think if you can find. I don't, I don't know if the correct term is a mid-range deck or or something that doesn't force you to dive forward with them. I think they have a lot of potential if you can avoid having to lob them into vulnerable positions. I think that's where the decisions get hard. So Yeah, yeah. I, it felt, after playing the few games that we played, it felt like it was just a very bad matchup where the one side really wanted their opponent to come to them and play as a castle and just like stay in their own territory and shoot people who come in and the other side was like go all in on your opponent's territory and it's like well this is that's not great like it's gonna it's gonna always be an uphill battle for the um storm coven in the battle in you know just the box matchup so it sure feels weird but i think in practice when you're not just playing that matchup over and over again i think maybe they'll uh feel a little more flexible and be able to do a few different things i think that's true uh i think the other thing we should mention is that uh they all have something extra when they inspire other than that so like yeah uh when when domaton uh becomes inspired gets to stagger everyone within two every enemy fighter within two hexes that's a that's a once per round thing but yeah that's very powerful um, though yep uh sarpon same thing once per round he can do a push uh push one uh friendly once he becomes inspired so having a, a free push when you need it um i think that like you were saying i think you were talking about having to like try and plan out your whole round right from the start who am i going to activate when uh, that those pieces of it make it even more challenging yeah. like okay wait hold on this is the guy i want inspired but also i'm going to want a free push so actually maybe i want sarpon so actually maybe it'll, and like whoa boy um just a just a lot to work through with them Absolutely. Uh, and, so, and so i think we thought like hey look there's these three big uh long-ranged tanky ish fighters at least on paper i think they seem pretty easy to use they they uh in experience seem like the much harder warband to use effectively yeah yeah i as soon as you lost one fighter it felt like this warband suddenly got very difficult to use uh, in mm. in my feeling um and so i think building out of rivals you'll probably try like you said to find ways to mitigate losing fighters so that you can mm-hmm. you know benefit more from using the ones inspired when you want to and not having to like throw them forward recklessly and then have them sitting around at one block and just yep. getting lit up but uh that's a i think pretty good overview of the warband there's there's a lot going on um in a relatively uh misleadingly simple shell um <laughs> But let's let's get through some cards. We've got. Sure. I think we'll just do it the same way. Um, it's, and and I think as we've talked in the past, this is a good way to build your deck. So it makes sense to highlight cards in the same way. Do objectives, and then power cards come after that. So, what is one of their objectives that you like? Uh so they there's a lot that look like they should just score like butter, right? Like they yeah. there's um. And then again, 
once once the reality of getting on the board happens, you're like, oh, that isn't quite as easy as I thought, or uh, this actually gets a lot harder in the later round, or it's forcing me into particular uh, inspiration directions, like how I'm handing back and forth the inspiration, all that sort of thing. And so it just, it's, you know, scoring these is another layer in that, that uh, push pull that they got. So some of these can really kind of hurt your brain, make things more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I picked out uh, heavenly alignment, particularly because it doesn't do this as much like it, it uh, it's a thing that'll just maybe happen. Um, and it's one that you can score without risking anybody too much. This is a surge for one. Uh, you have a casting role for a friendly fighter spell attack action that contain two or more magic dice and each of the magic dice in the casting role showed a different symbol. Um, not too unreasonable. It doesn't need to be successful. So yep. it could be a total fail. It could be where you got one success, but then your opponent managed to uh, block it. So um, it's, if you're going to be tossing, I think they'll have a build uh, maybe in champs, maybe a nemesis where uh, this can sit in there and you can kind of toss spells at a little bit of a safer distance and, and uh, pop this one off. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, so because unlike some of the other ones doesn't risk anything, I, I think that one uh, stood out a little bit for me. Yeah. Um, so there this is hard because like you say on paper some of these looked great and then playing with them i was like oh actually this is very difficult um so there was a few of the end phases that i thought about highlighting but i think actually the one that stood out to me is probably going to be an important card but not as simple as i thought at first is channel the storm mm. um, this is another surge for one and you score this immediately after the second or subsequent friendly fighter has been inspired in the same round Mm-hmm. Um, when I first read this, I was like, wow, this is just absolutely dead simple. You're going to score this immediately and then you're just going to get the gray, you know, the glory train rolling and it's going to be crazy. Uh, you don't actually just always want to swap the inspire. Um, right. and it's a little difficult because as we mentioned, you know, Domitan and Sarpan have these other reactions that you can use after you inspire them. And maybe you don't want to just have them be sitting back and inspiring just to score this mm. early on if you're wanting to take advantage of those other act fate or those reactions. So it's like mm. this thing that feels like it should be the thing that gets you going is actually something you have to be very careful about when you score it and how you score it. Um, and I kind of like that because in some ways, you know, when a surge is almost too easy, it's like, well, of course I'll just get this always. Yeah. I think this one will always score, but you have to be, you know, thinking about when you want to do it and how you want to do it. And I mean, obviously if you're down to one fighter, it, oh, it's dead. Yeah, I mean, but, then it's uh, dead, but hopefully you drew this early enough that, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think uh, it, into that, and again, I'm, I apologize if I'm misusing this term, but in that mid-range style, this gives you a thing that if you're kind of building up a little glory before you dive in, this and the the one I mentioned where you're kind of um, moving some more conservative, safe plays, lobbing shots from afar, inspiring some guys, okay, now I've got some glory, now I'm ready to go in. You know, Maybe I've got a little yeah. extra protection or I've got a little extra insurance that this is going to be a effective thing, so... Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of, I would kind of agree. I think these guys could end up being a warband where it's like, 
hanging out in the middle of the boards doesn't feel bad. Uh, they can reach out with their sticks or their spells and get people. Um, they can kind of just hang out there and feel pretty happy. But I think the rivals deck pushes you very much towards be an enemy territory. And it's like, ugh, that's mm. so hard to balance. <laughs> um, and, and there's just so much right now, actually, that sort of does the same thing where it's like, be an enemy territory. And mm. that, it is always difficult, I think, to to find that balance, especially with th- just a three fighter warband. Yep. But they've got some pretty good uh, gambits to kind of help in some of these things. Uh, some of them are quite a lot harder to play than we initially thought. Um, but one that I found to be better in play than I thought it would be on paper, which is why I want to highlight it is howling gales, Mm. which is also very on brand for our podcast. (laughs) Uh, So this is, this is a gambit spell. You cast it on uh, channels. So it's a little Uh, harder focus. Yes. I mean, I always get swirlies. I always get (laughs) these mixed up trying to be better about learning the name. Um, If it's cast, uh, and, and it's on the single, so it's not impossible to do, but it's it's also not as easy um, as it could be. Um, so if this is cast, you choose two enemy fighters in the same territory. So most likely they're going to be in enemy territory, but maybe not. Um, and then you push each of those chosen fighters up to one hex closer to the other chosen fighter. Uh, if the chosen fighters end up adjacent, you stagger them. So when I first read this, my thought was, oh, so you, you find two fighters who are close together. You like push them slightly out of position and stagger them. That's pretty cool. And then we were playing with it. And, uh, you know, I had two, two demons when I was playing pandemonium and they were like on opposite sides of the board, both standing on objectives. And then the spell goes off, pushes them both (laughs) off of objectives towards each other because like anything closer to the middle of the board is closer to each other. Yeah. And then also was pushing one of them into a lethal hex and the other one into a snare hex. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my <Wow>. goodness. <laughs> oh, boy. And it was just like, uh, rough. Uh, yeah. And that, that is always going to stand out to me as being like, I didn't even consider yeah. that you could do those things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think this one's good. I think this is an example of like, it's worth the lower chance of happening because it is very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, a lower chance of happening. It has a, a little bit of the requirement of like, if they only had one fighter, then it's not doing yeah, anything right. or if their fighters are in different territories. So there, there's some limitations, but as long as you clear those limitations, it's a infinite range, double distraction sort of thing. So right. with, with the Tasty. potential for a, double stagger if you happen to have it set up just right yeah 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 how about you what uh which one jumps out at you well that was my first choice Uh but uh (laughs) (laughs) i i also put down uh thundershock and this is another gambit Mm -hmm. spell uh and what i liked about this one was the flexibility of it so it is um one focus and the It says, if cast, choose an enemy fighter adjacent to the caster. Deal one damage to the chosen fighter and minus one damage from the chosen fighter's attack actions to a minimum of one. This effect persists until the chosen fighter is taken out of action or the end of the round. Uh, What I 
you know, so it's got that ping, uh, very limited range, um, but it, it gives you that chance to finish somebody off that you have gotten the one hit. And we, we always see how pings can be pretty potentially useful. And the, this warband also has access to, you may be able to cast this with a, a level two with a reroll or something like that, where it's, yeah. it's probability goes way up. Uh, so, you know, get through some tough defenses and then finish them off with this, but also it's, I like the flexibility of saying like, okay, they've kind of powered up one particular fighter. Let's make it so that fighter is no longer, you know, all that effective. So, um, bringing a damage three down to two or, you know, bringing somebody out of lethal range or even worse, uh, for them, if you maybe drop them from a damage two to a damage one, and also they got to hit one of your guys like four times to be able to score the kill. Like, well, okay, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> so I, I like that it's got those options. I don't know. This may end up being like an 11th gambit in, in uh, championship style deck building, but, uh, I, I highlight it because I like, um, I like that style of card that has, Hey, this is useful in a couple different scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think there's plenty of war bands right now that don't have innate three damage and mm-hmm. this could feel very bad for those war yeah. bands. Yeah. So definitely agree. Very fun card. I like the design space. It's not just deal damage. You get to actually have some utility with your ping. Yeah. Very good. Um, well, since I stole your gambit, uh, how about you lead us off on upgrades? So you got, you got your choice no matter what. Well, I, there's one that provides a reroll to casting spells, uh, which I, I, uh, I'm gonna, I guess I'm sort of cheating by mentioning that it exists. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I think that's just very utilitarian, very helpful. Um, but, uh, I wanted to particularly highlight blades of Azir, uh, this is uh, mm-hmm. fighters range two attack actions are range three and have stagger. Um, yeah, it uh, you know, so Domitan, if he's inspired, has a uh, range two damage three attack, that means he's going up to range three damage three with stagger on it. So you get one, and then you're just going to be able to keep pouring things on. Uh, oh, when I first saw this, I was like, this is insane and busted, and what the hell, like, this is crazy good. Uh, but on thinking of it, it's, what's interesting about it is that it, it kind of, um, like if you have great strength on that fighter, then all of a sudden you basically null yeah. the great strength, right? <laughs> so you're like, yeah, this, this great strength doesn't work anymore because this fighter doesn't have a range one or two action anymore. It has a, a range three action, um, attack action, I should say. Yeah. Uh, well, they may have a range one if you've put a weapon on them, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I think it's an example of a card, almost like the one that you brought up for um, Pandemonium, um, where like, wow, in certain circumstances, this would be totally busted. But you think about it a little bit more like, actually, this this may be a fairly well-balanced card as it goes. Um, but I think in this scenario, which uh, we saw happen a number of times where they ended up down to a single fighter, getting this on that last fighter really opens up your options um, if Absolutely. you are wanting to lay out more damage or, you know, it can be the case where you're worried about, uh, killing yourself. Um, if your spell goes wrong or something like that, um, only, only, uh, Stratosi, I think has a inspired, just guaranteed two damage spell. Um, yep. I think, uh, Domitan's spell is still one damage with it, but it has cleave and grievous one and Sarpon, uh, also has grievous one and, and snare. So, uh, this this gives kind of a 
a safer and a really nice um, way to get a, get a lot of work out of a single fighter. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a very flexible card. I don't think it's broken in any way, but it, it'll cert- there'll right. certainly be games where all of a sudden this comes out and your opponent will be like, oh no, I'm very <laughs> out of position now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I like. I think that's cool. The stagger sure. feels maybe it's like, okay, cool. The, the fine. I don't know that it'll actually matter a whole lot, but when, in the games where it does matter, it'll be quite impactful. Yep. Uh, for me, there's two um, I like a lot, and I don't know which one to highlight here. I guess I was going to go with a different one, but I'm going to change my mind here at the last second. I'm going to talk about Master of Ancient Lore. Ooh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so you're, you're making this pick at josh uh, i'm making this pick at josh so josh when you see this uh know that yes i i'm talking about this card and then i like it in spite of your feelings about card draw um <laughs> so this is an upgrade that gives you a reaction where you can use this after an opponent plays a power card you then get to draw a power card if it stopped there this would still be very good um just getting to draw extra cards and pretty much guaranteed because it's any power card. So if you can play this in round one or two, you're getting at least one card to replace this. Ideally, you'd want to be able to get two, um, but it goes on. Uh, so <laughs> if they played a Gambit spell, though, you get to draw two power cards, which is crazy. Um, I guess the important caveat here that I should have mentioned uh, with the first clause is that this can only be done once per round. So if you do draw this late, it's it's probably not doing that much for you. But I think if you build around this in your deck where you know you want to be able to draw more power cards because you care about casting gambit spells and you want to have a hand that's always got options, this should keep the cards flowing. And that's probably better than a lot of other upgrades you could have. Um, sure. Yeah, even if the only thing it does is it it thins your deck. If it only if the only thing it does, like say you've dropped it in round three, and all it does is replace itself, uh, as in like you needed a slot to put this down, and then they play a power card and you draw one, uh, you have kind of effectively thinned yourself to ten gambits, nine upgrades. Which, yeah, um, I know I've already mentioned that late in the game that's less important but uh in this case maybe more so if you are if you have a build that cares a lot about uh casting a certain number of spells or getting gambit spells to go off or or what have you yeah um and i think for anybody who hasn't played in some of the older seasons where we had a lot of draw tech draw tech is very strong um Mm. sometimes all you need is that one answer and you can mess up your opponent's game plan and it can shift the game significantly yeah, um, yeah. It, there's a long history of uh draw tech cards that came out and you're like well that's not very good um like what unnatural truce or <laughs> whatever you're like <laughs> yeah and then and then people take it non-stop and you're like oh well okay <laughs> I, I guess yeah. it is yeah. you know? whoops yeah so i'm at this point i think we've seen enough that i'm never gonna sleep on a draw tech card again especially <laughs> one that is this easy to trigger mm-hmm. um hey if your opponent doesn't want you to draw cards they can't play cards and that would be almost better than you getting to like <laughs> you know if you get to turn off your opponents playing cards because they're worried about you drawing into something 
that's disruptive that's almost as disruptive as drawing into the disruptive card so um i think i think this card will be used a lot and probably very effectively and in those games where you're playing against people who have gambit spells um man this is gonna feel rough because even if they'd fail to cast it you still get to draw two cards right yeah Oof. Uh, so <laughs> so strong so good uh like it a lot but uh that is the storm coven they're a very complex warband we certainly had trouble with them and that was very counter to what we thought when we first read through and reviewed the cards so uh yeah kind of a uh, fun example of like hey don't necessarily judge cards until you've played with them yeah i mean I, everyone's gonna have their first impression their hot take but uh you know think a little bit past that or, or be prepared to be surprised yeah or or maybe we're just idiots well, yeah maybe, <laughs> everyone maybe else we are, just yeah. are bad at evaluating <laughs> cards that's also a possibility but uh i i mean it almost goes without saying but just to explicitly lay it out there this is a three caster warband in the history of the game there's only ever been one other three caster warband and there's only been one other beyond that uh multiple caster warband with uh, crimson court had yeah, two, two level ones in it um that's an incredibly rare thing uh and even with the new salvage mechanic that really opens up you know because salvage helps you with power cards doesn't do anything for objectives yeah. uh and so there are options that this warband has that almost no other warband has access to as a result. So yeah, yeah uh, I, that, that can't be overlooked, especially in something like championship play. Absolutely. I was just going to say, I think for championship for the people who want to invest with these guys, get the reps in, get good with them. I think they will be very rewarding, but mm, they yeah. do, they do feel tough. I think it'll take a while to find that groove and figure out like how best to use these guys. It'll be fun to watch somebody make these guys sing. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to maybe next year at AdeptCon. <laughs> but we've still got two more decks to go. Let's uh, let's get through these. So so we'll say, I think right off the bat, we can just say both of these Rivals decks do not have plot cards. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. So very, important, very much worth mentioning. Important note. Um, and just to get it out of the way right away, these are very usable for building with other decks uh, things in championship you can cherry pick just the one or two cards you want um, there's no restrictions so uh, an, a nice change from how many plot locked decks we had in uh, the gnarlwood so um, I'm, I'm certainly excited to see what that means for mm. championship builds going forward but uh, for today we're just reviewing them as rivals decks and maybe a few takes for other deck building but sure where which one would you like to start with uh we've got seismic shock or toxic terrors uh let's go with seismic shock okay so this is our um you may not be able to guess from the name but this is the spellcasting deck so right. uh what objective from this wild and crazy deck speaks to you uh so my well let's see we've played a couple <laughs> uh played uh just as a caveat man, managed a, a three games with uh we did seismic shock and a toxic terrors yes we did um so uh seismic shock uh, 
this is a deck before we get too far into it uh about 75 percent of this deck bricks if you don't have a caster alive yes um and uh the other stuff it likes doing is hold objectives so uh i was a complete idiot and thought that <laughs> I, I might try to uh to run this with um with uh, Kagra's Ravagers, yeah. it's like ah, you know, uh, and and also we're, we're doing uh, this was tested with just a pure rivals deck, which uh, I'll, I'll circle back around it in a bit. Uh, in back to back games, I managed to miss twice with Zarsia uh, and beat with Spite Tongue Curse, so doing self damage once, twice, and then finish her off with a double crit casting roll. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> Back-to-back games, Zarsia killed herself without ever having the enemy lay a finger on her, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah that, uh, that's that's more of a Zarsia problem than a seismic shock problem. Absolutely. But, but uh, it did highlight the fact that as soon as she went down, I was like, well, I actually can't play most of these cards or score most of these objectives. Um, so if you're playing this as pure rivals, uh, you are potentially fairly limited on... Uh, warbands that i think really can get a get use out of this uh that said it the, there are some cards that don't brick and uh i just wanted to highlight one of those uh and this one i think is gonna be exciting to a lot of warbands that uh want to want to do some holding and that's uh, claim the prize so dual score this in an end phase if your warband holds each objective in one or more territories including so it could be no one's territory and your warband holds two or more objectives in one or more of those territories. So the short of this is, is have at least two objectives in a single territory and have that represent all of the objectives in that yep. territory. Um, that's super doable, uh, especially in the era of still being able to delve even at a cost. Um, and for a reward of three glory in the end phase, that is, certainly tempting um i have to imagine phil that you uh this one would have caught your eye for the uh seraphon uh yeah um it actually is a duel man it is a duel <laughs> it's for three glory um and the funny thing is that it's it's a lot of work to do this mm-hmm. um i was actually running a card that they have that's a hybrid uh that is similar it's mm. it's either you hold all the objectives in enemy territory, so more restrictive, a little harder to do, or all of your fighters are in enemy territory. So it had mm. this sort of escape clause to be like, hey, maybe you can't get all of the objectives, but at least you can just like have the two remaining skinks that you have in enemy territory and score two. Sure. Uh, this this is good, but. I think I would have to find ways to do it where I'm scoring this in my territory. Cause I think trying to oh, do totally. hold all yeah. an enemy is very, very hard. Um, yeah. so I think, I don't know, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole, but I think in best of three, your opponent learns to play around this. Um, but in best of one, man, this card's going to catch people off and you're going to score a three glory for holding two in your territory. And somebody's going to feel real bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think it puts a lot of interesting pressure on the uh, feature token placement yes. as well. Yes. Um, because if you end up with three in your territory, well, now you're trying to hold three or hold two and get one of them flipped one way or another. Um, 
And then if your opponent is seeing that, then they're trying to figure out where they're placing things and how they're manipulating things. So I, I think, um, I think that's where you, you talked about best of one versus best of three. I think best of three, you, you see some reactions, uh, on feature token placement once you know that this objective is out there. Absolutely. But still, what very, did you, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Still a very good card. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the one that I landed on, there's, there's a lot of sort of weird cards in here that are kind of hard to use. And I think you can build around them for sure. But I just was like, well, what, what of these are your, like, if I'm going to be doing spell casting, what's a nice staple that I could probably pull out of this. And I thought that magisterial might feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a surge you score after a power step where one or more friendly wizards hold an objective in enemy territory. So that's sort of the worst part about the card. Mm-hmm. And one or more of those wizards is level two. Mm. So it's a little tricky, um, but it happens quite quickly and you can probably set it up in such a way that your opponent won't really be able to stop you um it is after Mm. a power step so there is the opportunity for counterplay but um you know if you're a warband that has access to some way to teleport or if you have uh, a fairly tanky wizard where you can just place an objective just across the line and just step onto this um it's gonna be a pretty easy surge and i kind of like that um especially in this sort of day and age of having lots of stuff that wants you to be in enemy territory anyway but this mm. one still is quite doable um especially if you have multiple casters sure the uh right uh, yeah the latter uh, you know needing him to be level two really makes this uh almost like a domaton card is mm-hmm. is the one who most enjoys this because they're the ones who are going to have multiple level twos and not even at any one time but the, it'll be scorable even if they lose one of their fighters yeah um but uh and this is not the best example but there are a number of cards in this deck that is leaning so heavily into magic um that are not about casting that are do you have a wizard do they have are they in this position or do you have, are you holding some objectives and is one of those held by a wizard or does this wizard have upgrades and is holding an object? Like there's these things that again, this one, because it mentions needing to be level two or greater, a uh, little more uh, restrictive, but there's other ones that, that you can capitalize on. Even if you are something like Kanan who has a, uh, who has a wizard uh, it's a level one wizard um, up, up at the top, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and a tanky one. So, um, I like that they included those in this instead of all just being about casting spells or spell attacks or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of interesting synergies in the deck, but I think as we mentioned, there's <laughs> it, it's tricky. I think trying to use this as a straight rivals deck was tough. I mean, it didn't help that you were also trying to, you know, maybe use a war band that didn't quite uh work with the deck sure yeah uh and that's uh it, but it, it'll be fun to experiment some more with and and i think it's one that may uh i mean uh, let's talk about it now i guess we, we we looked we looked at these and we still have the games and upgrades to talk about this but um uh, we looked at these decks and play them as straight rivals so just like completely replacing 
that I don't know how often we actually see that, that a universal rivals deck is played yeah. as a universal rivals deck. I think that's relatively rare. I, I, I suspect, and I don't know this, but I suspect that they're most frequently used uh, to, to introduce people to nemesis, like, okay, supplement your faction cards with this. Um, and that I think makes this, uh, much more interesting and functional, but, uh, Absolutely. I, I, I'd be interested to hear from people who are just, you know, picking up a universal rival and saying, go with it. But, um, yeah. 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 I think, I think some of the, at least some of what I was thinking about when we do this is it's like, okay, so you get this new box, you're maybe starting up the game with a friend or maybe you've played a little bit, but you're trying to get a new f- person into the game and you're like, okay, let's just play straight out of this box. Yeah. And after you've played the Warband decks, you're like, well, let's, you know, change things up. Let's try something different. Just because if you just play the same exact deck over and over and over, you can get a little bored. So it's like, hey, we've got these two other options that we can use. We don't have to do any deck building. Let's try it. And mm. sort of like, yep. let's see how it goes. And and I sure. think you're right. I, I think more often than not, people don't do that. But I think there's at least the possibility that people would. And it's interesting to see how it works out. Yeah, totally. Uh, but after that aside, um, should we? Are you ready for gambits here? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's just we'll keep cranking here. Um, okay. So gambits, um, man. There, there's a number of cool spells here, uh, but I ended up choosing to focus on uh, this one's called Abysoth's Screaming Idols which I'm not not quite sure why the idols are screaming, but (laughs) sure. Uh, So this is cast on a channel. Um, So pretty easy. And if it is cast, you pick a feature token within three hexes of your caster. You move that feature token one hex. After you have done so, if a fighter, and important to note, any fighter, is on that feature token, you deal one damage to that fighter. Yeah. So... This is probably not going to very often be the situation where you're like using this as a pseudo confusion where you get to, you know, pull, end up being on a feature token that an opponent is currently on. But I think it gives you some flexible options where if someone's standing next to a feature token, you could pull this under them and deal them one damage. Um, You could use this to pull one out from underneath somebody who you think's about to score from holding objectives. and you know in the absolute worst case where you're just needing to cast more spells there's usually a feature token somewhere within three hexes and you could just move a feature token around as a way to cast a spell yeah so i liked the utility that this provides it's very flexible um it's not super strong but it's nice i mean you can do some good game changing things with it um it's almost as good as a push so yeah, I, like I, I think in that in that uh, same way as I was talking about Thunderstruck, where it has different different reasons where it might be useful at a, at a given point. I I like that. Yeah. How about you? What's uh, one of these gambits that you thought was particularly interesting? Uh, I grabbed another gambit spell here. This is localized quake. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's another one that is. Uh, kind of situational um but gambit spell of uh focus if it's cast choose one fighter on a feature token or in a hazard hex within three hexes of the caster push the chosen fighter up to three hexes uh here's here's what i missed the first time through on it this is choose one fighter not enemy not friendly choose one fighter yep that's big right yeah so you can use this uh to 
throw an enemy fighter like all the way back out of charge range. Um, uh, if you're, you know, obviously you have relatively limited range as three hexes, but three hexes then with a push of three, you can really throw somebody way, way back away. Uh, you can use it to, if you got some early positioning, you can use it to really launch one of your fighters forward so they can attack somebody unexpectedly or so they can end up adjacent to somebody and get multiple attacks. There's, there's a lot that you can do with this if the positioning works out correctly. Absolutely. So. Um, this was the other one I was thinking about because it's like, oh man, what, what can't you do with a push three <laughs> where the directionality is not limited? Yeah. Um, you just have to have it set up first which yeah. I think in this day and age, people tend to end up on feature tokens of some variety. And this is actually mm -hmm. where they use the hazard hex. So um, it doesn't even have to be a feature token. It can um, be a printed hazard hex as well. So yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, um, I like that they use these this uh, magic deck to create some interesting gambits. There's some ping in there, like you said, with Abyssoth Screaming. Uh, idols and I think maybe stir the nest has it, but they're they're fairly situational pings. Like they mm -hmm. they didn't go the easy route of of just reprinting reprinting like uh, sphere of Akshi or whatever. Like yeah, right. Here's we're gonna we're gonna make some things that have like some play around with them, have some flexibility, have some unique things that they can do, and I I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I, it it felt very much like a control deck. The after mm -hmm. reading through it, so. I don't know. I like that. I like that we have some of these control options available. Not, not some of the strongest ones we've ever seen, but you know, some of the strongest ones we've ever seen were like ridiculous. So, mm, yeah. uh, I think a, a nice, a nice balance here. Sure. Um, and and some pretty interesting upgrades too. I mean, they they kind of went um in some kind of uh, weird, I guess would be a fair way to say uh, directions with some of these. What what's one that really uh, spoke to you uh let's see oh uh i liked well I, i'm highlighting this one specifically because it uh kind of it's it's uh almost indicative of the the wider deck so this is abathos predatory animus and this is a return of a universally available innate you get an innate channel but only while this fighter is holding an objective in enemy territory. Yeah. That's, that's fairly restrictive, right? Like that's, it is. it's, uh, especially if you are a single caster warband. Um, but a lot of this deck has to do with, uh, having a caster on a feature token and, uh, getting an innate, uh, of any kind is powerful. And so getting, having that opened up to you is, is kind of a big deal. I don't know that we'll see a ton of this, but that that is there's a lot of cards in this deck that says, "Hey, do this thing, but only if you're on uh, a feature yeah. token, or do this thing, but do it better if you're on a feature token, or, or something like that." So I thought it was worth uh, highlighting for that reason. Yeah, and for folks who haven't played it with or against innate, it it is very like warping as to how it changes the math on some cards. So. Um, I think this card could end up seeing some play. Obviously, you have to build around it, but yeah, mm -hmm. I like that one too. That was one I was thinking about. Uh, the other one that I had my eye on was Quintox Unseen Hand. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a spell action uh, upgrade, which is kind of nice because it gives a, another spell that you can cast on your fighter. Um, 
I think this one's actually quite good. So this is on a channel uh, and it says during this action, this fighter has line of sight to each enemy fighter. So uh, fairly important that block hexes don't matter for this. Uh, and then if cast, you choose an enemy fighter within six hexes. <laughs> so just pretty much pick anybody anywhere. Um, yeah. And then you get to pick one. Push the chosen fighter one hex. Whoa. Or stagger the chosen fighter. If the casting roll included one or more crits, do both. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. For, you know, I, I think the biggest cost of this is just that it's a it's an entire action yeah. used. But like you mentioned, this there's some control aspects to this. And if you can get yourself set up where you want to be, you can you can disrupt enemy scoring while kind of getting yours. And this is doing exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. The repeatable ability here is I think potentially going to be what makes this card. Uh, I agree that like having to spend a whole action on this kind of could be a bad thing, but if you're, you know, a hold war band, you're trying to be castled up in your own territory and you're just like, I'm pretty much set. I don't need to really move a whole lot. I don't <laughs> really care about getting kills. I just need to be able to stay on these objectives. This is the kind of action that could be really disruptive to your opponent where you sure. can push them out of charge range, push them out of, off of objectives, push them into lethal hexes. Like there's just a lot you can do in this range is so huge that it's effectively just distraction on an activation which yep that's pretty good and then for those warbands where you just need to cast spells mm -hmm. having a repeatable spell that you can get off regardless of having a fighter that you can attack is pretty good um i think curse breakers would probably like this a lot um because they have a bunch of stuff that just cares about casting spells so sure should be interesting um but man, I just, I love the idea of just getting to use distractions just from all over the place and do it multiple times. But that's Seismic Shock. Any Anything else that you want to highlight before we move on? Uh, no, I think, I think uh, I'm good to move to the next. All right. And final. Yeah, final one. Um, Toxic Terrors. Uh, so this, this is an interesting deck. Um. I guess before we get into specific cards for this deck, mm -hmm. it's worth noting they leaned really heavily into the theme for this deck. Um, so if you couldn't tell <laughs> from the name, <laughs> this is a poison deck, uh, which is cool. It's actually something I'd kind of hoped they would do at some point after they introduced poisons back in Beastgrave, I think is when we saw the first one. I believe that's correct. Um, and so they were like, yeah, well, what happens if you make an entire deck that's built around poison? Um, yeah. And so pretty much everything in the deck is in some way tied to poisons or with new, because we didn't have this previously, poison upgrades. Mm. Um, so you're just looking for that poison keyword, but lots of interesting stuff. I, I like the flavor here. We'll see. Um, actually from the games that we did play it felt like it played relatively well for a rival stack so uh that yeah was a nice bonus if we look at you know so we often we talk about standing on its own or or not but um the war bands that have poison in them i think there's maybe five i want to say 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's a small number, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, all but one of them only have a single one. Uh, so I think that's uh, Starblood Stalkers, um, Skittershanks Claw Pack, the original Canine, the uh, Blood Coven, Blade Coven. Yep. Yeah, um, I think uh, Gnarl Spirit Pack, and then the uh, Soul Raid have two. And um, so probably the th- two those best are the, ones. <laughs> <laughs> Two very good ones. Uh, I wonder. I mean, I, I don't think this is. Uh, I don't think this is necessary whatsoever. But there are some upgrades you might look back in uh, retrospect and be like, "Well, that could be a poison upgrade." So, like, I think uh, right. I, I'm remembering specifically. Um, oh no, maybe it's venomous spittle. I think is not a poison upgrade. It's it's not a poison, but that's a. a I kept thinking that the uh, snarlfangs yeah, had yeah. some poison in there. They don't. They have some stuff that sounds like it would be, but yeah, um, probably could no. have been if it had come yeah. after this deck. Mm. But anyway, um, yeah, poison, poison gamus, poison upgrades, a lot of stuff that interacts with it. Uh, kind of cool to see. Um, not like you said, not expected, but um, we'll take it. I think there's a little bit also some focus on, there's some things that like benefit from a leader doing particular things in here. So I think if you have, uh, I think you have a leader, if a lot of your warband runs through your leader, then you may also be looking in at this deck for those reasons. Um, and I will say my, my overall take on this on first pass was that there are some, uh, situationally very strong cards. And the question is, will you be able to engineer that situation or will it occur on its own often enough for it to be good? Right. Agreed. I, I think, I think that was my kind of takeaway, but, uh, some because of it being against Kagra's ravagers <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, some not, we, we saw it with uh Kanan, yeah. um, which actually was pretty good with the, with the positioning, they could kind of set up a number of these things and have a big, big, bad leader at the top of the food chain there that, uh, can trigger some of the leader stuff too. So, yeah. um, one seemed pretty functional on its own. Yeah. And one of the things that had sort of been rattling in my brain when you're first looking through the cards is it's like well a lot of these poisons you know you you're gonna want enough fighters around to be able to sort of take advantage of this and so um you probably are going to want a larger warband um Mm. because like you know there's there's persisting stuff that affects the specific poisoned fighter and so like if you only have one fighter left who can take advantage of the persistent poison you're not getting the full benefit but if you've got like you know three fighters who can all make an attack on that poisoned fighter now and they can Mm -hmm. all get the benefit that's Mm -hmm. pretty good so um some interesting stuff like you said lots of very situationally powerful abilities and it felt again kind of like a control esque thing going on with all these poisons so very interested to see what people do with this with more deck building yeah between these two universal decks there's definitely some more control options being kind of tossed into the card pool it's fun to see yeah very fun so yeah what were what were some of the favorite objectives that you had uh well i'm I'm gonna stick to the one uh but uh (laughs) I, the very first one in the deck, the number one of 32, uh, Capable Poisoners, this is a duel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a two-glory end phase, which is always 
making it more interesting. Uh, your warband made one or more successful attack actions in the preceding phase. That's a pretty <laughs> low bar to clear. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you, you got to look at the other side of the duel, like, well, then how hard is the other side? And two or more surviving friendly fighters each have one or more poison upgrades. So you have to spread a couple poison upgrades around and then have uh, enough to do that. I, I, so I think I was trying to figure out that this warband has one, two, three, four, five, uh, six, uh, seven, eight yeah. poison upgrades. So almost all your upgrades in here are poison upgrades, actually nine because of the attack action. So, uh, essentially all but one are poison upgrades in one way or another. Um, so if you are running this pure rivals, which again, we said is probably not happening all that often, then, uh, then that is super scorable. Um, especially from round two or later, once you've already got a little bit of seed glory out there. Um, so I, it's one of those duels. It's a rare duel, uh, where like one half of it is just so easy. Uh, and I think it had to be in there just to be like, Hey, look, it's, it's not cool if you just put out some upgrades and then stand in the back corner. <laughs> like, yeah, you do have to engage. Like, all right. All right. Fair enough. Um, we'll, so we'll do a little uh, that bit one of kind of jumped at me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and we'll see, well, you can see in some of these other cards when you go and read all of them, uh, mm. there's a number of things that check and care about the poison upgrades. Um, like the having a certain number of them fighter who has them doing certain things. And, uh, so it, it sort of ends up being this leverage point of like, at what, what is the correct number of poison upgrades where these cards become playable? How many mm -hmm. do you need to have in the deck? Like, right. My thinking was that you probably need at least five. And so then mm -hmm. the question is, are there five that you would want to have in your deck over other potential upgrades? That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. So um, it, it'll be interesting to play with. I think it needs testing. I think even in just the test games we had, we, you know, it's just pure rifles. So there's, it's hard to know because it's designed to have the numbers. Like we mentioned, there's nine upgrades. It'll just work. If you start building like nemesis or champs builds for this though, are you going to have enough and how do you balance that? And is it going to be good enough where you're just taking poison upgrades? So mm, uh, a sure. little bit of a tangent, but I think an important thing to highlight, I, I do like the idea though. I, so I'm, I'm certainly interested in trying it. Um, but the card that I wanted to highlight is lurk in wait, which um, kind of a, it's not super strong, but it's a different, it's a different kind of card. And I kind of wanted to, um, highlight it for that reason. So this is another duel. It's an end phase scores for one. And the conditions are one or more friendly fighters are in enemy territory. And one or more of those friendly fighters has no move or charge tokens. Mm. So there's, there's a couple different ways you could engineer this in a round one. Um, they're all relatively difficult, but, um you don't see a lot of stuff that's just like be standing around someplace like one fighter just happens to right. be hanging out and then you score and i kind of like having some of that back and i and like yes it's it's universal so it has that potential kind of how we were talking earlier where it could become abusable 
especially for certain war bands looking at you Molog and or uh fish <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny i i totally forgot about stalag squigs stalag squigs just like yeah i'm here what's up yeah uh, uh which honestly i mean it's kind of cool that you could just do this and just most people ignore stalag squig and you're like yep there he is yeah. lurking in wait um well, and it's funny because I also thought of Soul Raid, but I totally forgot where the fish is. Like, yeah, you could like shove the crab and shove the crab and get the, you know, like a couple of crab just pushes and you'd do, be there like, easy, or just mode. put the fish down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I really like that kind of stuff. The war bands that can revive in enemy territory can also pick this mm, up very easily. Great um, point. Like on its face, you're kind of maybe looking at this like, how am I going to do that? So round one is going to be awful. Like this card's probably not worth it, but I like that it's very flexible for certain warbands. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something everyone's going to take, but the warbands that can score it easily are probably just going to auto take this. Mm, so, yeah, yeah. Hera Deep had a couple of warbands that had some like companion pushes and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I do, I do like the design space. I think this is a fun card, even though it's not uh, super powerful. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, also one that doesn't care about poisons. So (laughs) I chose to highlight something that's against the theme, but I, it it stood out. Um, going back to actually caring about poisons though, uh, there's a number of cool poison gambits. Um, it's hard to pick just one that I want to highlight though. The one that I really, I really like the card art for this one. And I like what it does. This is ill-prepared. So this is a Mm. poison where you just choose an enemy fighter on a starting hex. So the range is unlimited, but you do have to pick somebody who has been on a starting hex, which maybe is going to be difficult later in the game. But you get to give that fighter a move token. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're not charging. Um, Yeah. Maybe not even moving because all you can do is move with that fighter now. Yeah, and uh, then the other piece of it is that if the chosen fighter is still on a starting hex, they can't make attack actions. Yeah, Ugh. I <laughs> uh, the other warband once I uh, barely avoided throwing Kagra's Ravagers directly into the trash can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, gathered myself and I, I busted out Eyes of the Nine, um, and then had this dropped on. Uh, Vortimus in the first round was like, oh, oh no. Rough. <laughs> yeah. Now I can't charge. Uh, it, it basically burned an entire activation. Now, later in the game, you know, this may just not apply. This is kind of a, a prime example of what I'm talking about, like situational, very situationally very powerful cards. Like, yeah. Um, in, the, in the first round, this is pick a fighter that fighter is not going to charge um and may even burn the other player an entire activation to like at least get them to somewhere usable um so yeah uh but then later you might just not have anybody on a starting hex and then yeah now what so and it is worth mentioning there's a final caveat on this that it persists until the end of the round or until damage is dealt to the chosen fighter so i guess if your opponent really wanted this gone, they could get rid of it. Um, yeah. could, like run through a lethal or something, but sure. it's not a great option. I, I just feel like there's going to be times where you've got pushes in your warband where you could engineer this 
And if it's towards mm. the end of a game where it's like, I will push you onto a starting hex, I will poison you, you now have a move token and can't make attacks until you move off that token. Yeah. And your opponent's just yeah. like, okay, uh, checkmate. <laughs> I don't have anything. Like, sure. It's an elite sure. warband or something, and they're down to one or two fighters, and you just shut one of them completely off. Like, yeah. Wow. That, yeah. Uh, maybe not quite as bad as, what was it called? uh beast grave card where you it was like something um, stare or whatever uh oh yeah you just get to uh, put move token on somebody somebody within two would put a move on somebody else and vin- not vindictive stare but no, something like that but, was, so. but anyway i mean i remember so many games where i was like okay we're getting close to terrifying here and gaze oh, could sorry be. go ahead <laughs> yeah i mean it doesn't really matter you, somebody can go yeah. look it up it's it's out there you can find it um it, but it's man, gonna burn in my brain until i find it so. <laughs> oh yeah there uh so many games where i'd get to like round three somebody would play that at the start of round three and i'd be down to you know one or two fighters and all of a sudden i'm like oh i am <laughs> out of activations i just can't do anything because they just chose to run away from my fighter after locking them down yeah and i lose the game because i just can't do anything and it's like yeah that kind of feels like the way this deck is gonna play which maybe is good maybe is bad but i think it's different it's certainly not something we're seeing in the game right now and i really like that i think that you need to have stuff like that to balance the different play styles in the game so mm-hmm. uh, i'm very excited for this type of card and the other cards in this deck yeah, and it you can include this kind of effect in here, and it's not as crippling now that we have the ability to move after you have a move. Yeah, um, but it's still important, you know, blocking somebody else out from a charge and kind of you know really limit some of the things they can do. I but it's a it's a cool card. Yeah, uh, it's a transfixing stare. That, from there it is. is the one. There yeah, it is. Yeah. Staring. I, I can yeah. remember the card art <laughs> seared into my brain. Uh, yeah what what is a poison i mean i guess you don't have to pick a poison but <laughs> what what is a, a gambit that you enjoy out of this deck uh i i wrote down like five because there oh, i was like so oh man cool. that's cool and that's cool and that's cool um i i will uh i'll go something that's not a poison uh just because i think it may be interesting even if you're not running poisons this is keep the forest at bay uh, mm-hmm. choose one enemy fighter in enemy territory and up to two friendly fighters push each chosen friendly fighter one hex closer to the chosen enemy fighter so it's a situational double push obviously it busts if uh if the enemy doesn't have anyone left in their territory yeah um but uh uh picking friendly fighters and getting to push them you can um double double push is rare so um I there are definitely war bands where I'm gonna I'm gonna think about this one. Yeah. Um, again, I've got Cunning Crew on the mind, and if you can sneak a couple of fighters uh, unexpectedly into support range, then that war band is very. Oh happy. God! Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> pretty gross. Um, yeah. And you know we've seen plenty of times where a, a conditional double push is still absolutely game changing and this is Mm -hmm. no exception and this one's actually not that restrictive like towards an enemy fighter in enemy territory can mean just kind of push forward to friendly fighters like every x forward is closer so yeah yeah 
Very good. Very good. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening is shocked to hear Davey pick the push card as his choice, <laughs> but it is a very good push card. And I, I also thought about it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really cool cards in here though. Like you said, I'm very, very excited to see people play with this, mm. but we will leave that for another time. We've got some upgrades and there's plenty of poison ones. Um, I, I I guess if you don't want to pick a poison this time around, you don't have to either. But uh, what what's an upgrade <laughs> that you thought was a cool one or a good one? Uh, I will go with a poison upgrade. Uh, it's hard not to here because, like we said, there's like <laughs> nine of them here. Um, this one uh, also a push. Uh, but Wicked Hunter uh, is a poison upgrade. Reaction after you play a poison gambit, push this fighter one hex, then stagger each enemy fighter adjacent to this fighter. Uh, this basically like once you have this on then it upgrades all your poisons to also be a sidestep and stagger effect yeah uh, for this fighter so good uh, <laughs> yeah uh the was it creeping doubt that the cunning crew have is you know push towards a fighter and if you end up adjacent stagger them um that that was a money maker for me and this kind of turns any poison into that wow all right yeah um so Man. good and a super creepy card art there's oh yeah um, <laughs> some very um, very interesting stuff yeah. going on there what's what's this guy's name again he's the uh, markov. uh markov markov is like i don't know like drawing weird pictures with poison blood all over the ground yeah really crazy settling dude yeah anyway <laughs> yeah uh, what about you what what, what upgrade snagged you uh, well that one did but um <laughs> i'll find another one um okay. so there's a couple that i think are pretty good um let's do let me just read this again quick before so this is okay i'll, I'll highlight this one particularly for nemesis i don't think this probably makes it into a lot of champ builds uh this is callus this is a poison upgrade mm -hmm. um this is plus one damage to this fighter's range one and two attack actions if the target is affected by one or more poison well persisting poisons mm -hmm. or the fighter has two or more poison upgrades and since this one is one you just have one other yeah um damage is not very available in nemesis and mm -hmm. having a effectively a great strength clone is certainly something that you would want to consider um if you're going to be using this deck in nemesis um so i think this is probably pretty good um there's a lot of poisons where you would just be perfectly happy to throw it out without any sort of additional bonus because it's pretty strong just doing what it does Sure. And then you can use all those poisons as setup for like, I mean, this example literally shows Kanan being the one getting extra damage. <laughs> yikes. But yeah, you know, on, on, uh, against a wild hunt. Yeah. You're like, okay. Why? On, <laughs> you already have three damage, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even in situations where you're going from two to three and like your most efficient fighter now is in kill range for all these fighters that you sort of set up with poisons, that's pretty powerful. Um, in a nemesis format now in champs mm. i think you have plenty of easier choices than this one um but the fact that it sort of stays on theme and gives you the extra damage boost i think is pretty nice um yeah 
especially, I mean, you could combine Callus and Wicked Hunters, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, maybe you have a range two fighter who's got plus one damage, and every time you play out a new poison to set somebody up for that damage, you're pushing one closer, and it's like, oh no. <laughs> all of a sudden you're just, uh, you know, doing the old school thing of like, I'm going to bounce around as I keep bopping people with my range two attack, and uh, it feels pretty good. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think that's the other thing I've noticed about this deck that is maybe worth mentioning here is there's kind of a lot of combo stuff where like one card by itself is okay. You start layering multiple of the cards together and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of benefits you start getting when you have all these things stacked up. Sure. Um, just pretty cool. Not something we've actually seen a lot of in the past i think a lot of the times where we've seen combo type cards it's been like where all three relics get god mode and win (laughs) (laughs) which is fun but also like it's been a a bad design space in the past so right um something i'm glad they're still toying with but not quite to the same extent yeah that i think wraps us up for toxic terrors unless there's anything else that you have to mention about it uh no not really just that uh the the nemesis take is uh one that the our our, uh, friends over at um battle mallet do really well yes so once they get a chance to drop an episode on this I'd, i'd recommend pointing you in that direction if that's your preferred play format um they'll be coming at it for that mindset. And I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing their takes on it too. Absolutely. Yeah. I think being so ingrained in that format, they should have some, some good insights, probably some, some warband pairings that we didn't even think about should be mm, fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a lot, even though we just sort of did a high level take on each of these, there's, you know, there's a lot in the boxes. I will quickly just mention that I think, um, for folks who haven't seen some of the pictures of the new boards uh, that were in the early Warcom articles, they're, mm-hmm. they're pretty interesting boards, fairly well balanced in how they're set up. So I'm pretty excited about these new boards. Um, I think they add a lot. They're, there's no like, this is an obviously automatic pick every game kind of a board, but there's a lot of interesting options. So right, something I'm right. certainly looking forward to. And um I don't know. Overall, it felt like a pretty good box. Um, I think the two warbands are pretty comparable in power level, although, as we mentioned, one is a little, maybe a little harder to play in that matchup. Um, what what, would, what were your thoughts? Do you th- feel like the box is uh, a nice starting point? Is it well-balanced? I, I think so. Uh, I think that um, we, like like we said already, that we, we found um, Pandemonium to kind of win all the matchups i'd like to take another run at it here where the storm coven uh played a little bit more denial in that they said okay like instead of going so quite so aggressively for our objectives uh we'll try and chip away at the front lines of the pandemonium before committing and see if see if uh see if you can limit the storm coven losses a little bit better um that way uh, maybe deny both warbands some of their glory and then go in once you've kind of improved your board state. Um, so uh, it, it felt like Pandemonium had the upper hand 
but they were really enjoyable games. I think, um, that was the, that was some of the takeaway. And then, um, like to come at it. and ultimately it's just just the three games so yeah right uh, i mean three, three games with that matchup so gotta gotta see some more yeah yeah it's it's not a huge sample size but it's enough to be certainly informed i know a lot of the yeah, card 100%. card takes that i had for the reviews are probably gonna feel a little off now but um i, I think that's actually a good thing almost where it's like you know we can read cards do evaluations yeah. then go play with them and be like oh actually <laughs> Uh, yeah, this plays differently than what I thought. Yeah, that is worth mentioning one more time is that uh, unless I have a meltdown in this uh, remaining week that I have to uh, finish <laughs> getting them uploaded, we we do have commentary on every single card in this set. So that's 128 cards more once you include the fighters. Yeah. So um, if you want the uh, blow by blow on each of these, uh, like the deeper dive, you're welcome to go check that out. Um, I don't know, but I suspect that Pat the Glory will probably do their usual and have, um, they'll drop like four, three hour episodes um, to yep. cover all this stuff. Yep, so of course. there's another option for in depth there as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll do it for today. Um, if you've got any thoughts about this episode, anything you'd like us to know, especially if you find anything that we missed in that rule book, uh, you can reach <laughs> out to us at what the hexcast. On Don't you dare. <laughs> Twitter, uh, what the hexcast at gmail.com uh, or just pop into our discord. Um, we are around in there all the time. People are always chatting about something. Um, pretty good, pretty good space. Um, you know, if, if you like our show and you've found the AOS bug to be, your cup of tea uh you can head on over to mortalrealms.com uh we've got a group of other podcasts that we're part of and they do stuff for all the other age of sigmar related games so if you like Warcry yeah. or um path to glory or anything like that uh, you're on a story phase that yeah. uh, actually i mean this release will probably not yet be out true uh, but yeah be out soon, getting to talk about uh, the new the new Seraphon. Yeah, yeah. So doing a story overview of the new Seraphon. Um, to be determined as to when that will drop. I'm sure within yeah. the next few weeks, uh, if it's not out already by the time you're hearing this. Um, yeah, good times. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot there, especially if you're like, if this is your entry point into Age of Sigmar and you want to know more, about your warbands, you know, lore, story phase. That's the place to go. They got all, <laughs> all of it. We've done all of the different factions at this point because keep doing all the different books that come out for them. Um, coming up next from us, uh, as we mentioned early on, we are still working towards getting the uh, trash fire tournament or sleeks bowl bowl wrapped up um we just have a lot of games to play uh there's five of us and we all want to play each other in figure out who ends up with the best record so uh yeah that's that's quite a number of games but we are working on it um it will come soon and we, then we also need to get through all this new content so uh next i think 
is a bat rep although we would actually have to play that game <laughs> so <laughs> yeah we will our, see. our hope is to bring you one of our patented audio bat reps with uh with some stuff from the new things uh to be determined exactly what format yep nemesis champions what warbands all that sort of thing but uh there's a there's a ton to explore with this and once we get the the rest of the crew back in on on uh the content creation i think they'd they'd love to be able to share some of their thoughts um, once they once they get a crack at this stuff and um get at it with you yeah i know i know everybody with the reveals was very excited about flm's pandemonium so i'm sure (laughs) we'll hear from from them we'll we'll be bringing you a (laughs) flm mirror match yeah it could be interesting anyway uh yeah, so watch this space. Not a hundred percent sure what it'll be, but probably a bat rep. Um, Davey, do you have a flavor text quiz for today? You, you know, I do. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, here's here's a couple hints for you. Okay, it's in the new box. The gas. Oh man, <laughs> that narrows it down to 128 cards. Okay, okay. Um, it is an objective. Mm, all right, and we'll start with that. This quote is not attributed to anybody. A terrible way to go. Hmm. I believe that that is a mawful end. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We've we've redubbed an awful end to a mawful end. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the card art for this one is is one of the stormcasts. Very hard to tell who just being yeah. swallowed by Spawn Ma and his like whole body that opens up into a mouth and it's yeah. just like legs sticking out and it's like oh man that is. Real bad, not good. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, recommended listening then to close us out. Yeah. Uh, because we have to have one pun in here. We're gonna go with a "You're too weird." Oh man, but there it, it is. It's, it's by the Fruit Bats. Uh, it's a fun little ditty. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice. For what the hex? I've been Phil. I've been Davy. Hey, don't you want this? I'm like, that is like a nasty busted up roll of tape. No, I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like-